back. Uh, I'm, I'm Stephen. I'm the kids pastor here at Calvary. We, we really are so glad that you're joining us today. Um, we've been in the middle of a series called Family of Faith, and we're going to continue that today. Uh, but I, wa- I want to start this morning by telling you guys a story. And um, this, is where I, this is where I normally am okay, because normally I spend most of my time upstairs with kids, and I tell them stories about myself. And then they come and they return these stories to their parents or whoever they're here with. And they say, oh, hey, you'll never believe what Pastor Stephen told us today. And then you guys come to me and say, hey, my kid told me this crazy story about you today. And I normally have the advantage then of looking at you and going, oh, man, you know, kids, they'll say anything. I, oh, man, these guys. But this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble because I'm actually going to tell you guys a story this time. And so there, there will be no denying it. Um, when I was in high school, uh, video games were, I, well, I mean, obviously they were a thing, but they were kind of slowly beginning to transition, and video games were moving from the days of, you know, uh, you, uh, of, of only being able to play by yourself, or um, if you wanted to play with someone else, you had to either have multiple televisions, or you had to do, you know, I mean, like, hey, listen, desperate times, you had to take a piece of cardboard and glue it or tape it to the middle of your TV so that, you know, one person could play on the right and one person could play on the left, and you didn't have anybody screen looking, you know, or cheating by looking at your side of the television. And as I was in high school, uh, um, video games were just beginning to transition to the point where you could play at home by yourself and go online and play with other people. Now, there's two very different groups. Of, there's a couple different groups of people that are looking at me right now because some of you are looking and nodding along like, oh, yeah, I totally remember that transition. There are others of you who are looking at me going, you can play video games with other people. And then there are some of you who are teenagers in here and kids who are looking at me going, you used to not be able to play. What do you mean before online? What are you talking about? You know, and so, um, but yeah, I, I was right in that middle window. And so uh, there was a video game that came out that I started playing um, with my group of friends. And it was kind of our routine is what would happen is uh, we would finish school for the day. We would do whatever sporting activity we were in at the time, and we would finish that, and then we would go home, eat dinner, we would all hop online, and we would begin to play uh, video games with one another. Normally, until, you know, midnight, one, two, three in the morning, something like that, um, that you know, that uh, kind of became a problem at a point of like, okay, listen, you got to go to bed at some point in time. And one of my friends one day, we were at school, and we had been playing this game and playing and playing and playing and playing and playing. And this had gone on for a while now. And my friend, he came and he said, hey, um, did you know that this game has a time counter on it? A time counter? What, the, what in the world is that? And he said, it's, a, it's this clock that runs with your game and it tells you how long you've played this video game for. It's like, okay, I don't care about that at all, like. You know, whatever. I, I play for a couple hours every night. It's not that big of a deal. And so, you know, we left that conversation, and I went home, and I, and I, kind of, I was thinking about it, you know, and I started hearing from other people, oh, yada, yada, oh, yada, yada, you know, type thing. And, and, I, and I go to my Xbox, and I turn it on, and I go to the game, and I open the screen, and I do what they told me to, and, and, and this clock pops up that shows your time played in this game. And so it's got, you know, seconds, minutes, hours, and then there's a days section. And now, remember, this is like time in the game. And so if you have one day, that means you have played the game 24 hours. 
mine had had flipped all of those. And I kid you not, I this I kid you not, it was at four weeks was the amount of time that I had put into this video game. I looked at it and I was like, man, that seems like a lot of time. And then I exited that screen and loaded into a game and continued to play until, you know, two or three in the morning. And, and my time just went up and up and up and up and up. But it was this weird thing that you could always go back to and you could look at and you could see how long you had played. And at the moment, I, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, whatever. And then for whatever reason, one day um, after I, I had moved and I was, I was living here and I, I fired up my Xbox and I put this game in and I was like, I'm just going to go look and see like what it's what it ever got to. And I went and looked, and, and the final tally was at 32 weeks. And I thought about it, and I said, wow, that is a lot of time that I kind of wasted. And it was interesting because in the moment I didn't realize it and I didn't think about it, but I was investing, I was putting all of this time and effort into something that you know, to be completely honest with you today, I would probably be totally okay if I had those hours back. If I didn't, if I hadn't spent all that time. Now, listen, parents, grandparents, I see you elbowing teenagers and like nudging students. Yeah, okay, that's not, that's not where we're headed with this. So, you know, that's not what we're doing. But I begin to think differently about what I did with my time, about what I did as I invested this part of my life into a video game. And I begin to say, okay, what do I want to do different? How do I want to change these things? And today, what I want to talk to us about as we look at the family of faith and we begin to think about how we function as a family of faith is I want us to think about that word of investment. Now, a lot of times when we think of investment, we immediately jump right to money and we immediately assume, oh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about investing money or things like that. But I, I want to move away from that today and I want to think about this idea of investing our, our time, our talent and our treasures, investing who we are into these things. I've been to people's houses before and I go to, you know, different parts of their houses and they have a room that is dedicated to whatever it might be. It may be a room that is dedicated totally to Elvis. Here are all of the Elvis things that I've collected. Here are all of the LSU things that I, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, would want to collect. And, you know, and there's all these different things that people spend their time and they spend their resources investing in and saying, hey, we're going to make this a part of who we are. This is going to be something that we're about. This is going to be something that if you looked at my life, you would say that's a part of who they are. That's an investment that they've chosen to make. We're going to look at the book of 2 Kings today. 2 Kings, we're going to be in chapters 18, 19, and 20, but we're really going to focus at the end of chapter 20 on the life of a guy named Hezekiah. He was a king uh, of the nation of Judah. In Second Kings chapter 20, we find the end of his story. But Hezekiah's life, it begins to teach us something about what it means to invest beyond ourself. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is when we invest, when we say, hey, I'm going to put time and effort into these things, it's all about today. It's all about me. It's all about how is this going to benefit me and change my life and make my life better and what good is it going to do me? We're going to look at the, the life of Hezekiah and we're going to see though the idea of investing beyond ourselves that a family of faith must be willing to invest beyond ourselves to see success. 
then we must be willing to invest beyond ourselves. And so very quickly, as quick as I can, let me change that because Again, sometimes I get in trouble upstairs because I will tell our kids, hey, we're very quickly going to run through this story. And at the end, they come and they say, Pastor Stephen, that was not very quickly. And with them, I am able to say, well, you're a kid and I'm a grown up. So it was quick. Just, you know, keep going and and send them off to play. But you guys, I don't think I'll be able to confuse with my uh, my grown up logic. And so very quickly, we're going to run through the life of Hezekiah and look at the things that God did in his life. We're going to look at the life of Hezekiah, the reputation of Hezekiah, and the legacy of King Hezekiah. And it's going to teach us three things that we learn about investing beyond ourselves. If you look at the life of King Hezekiah, it begins in 2 Kings chapter 18. And Hezekiah is anointed as king of Judah, and he's 25 years old. Now, I imagine putting a 25-year-old in charge of a kingdom would be kind of something that we may balk at today and think, I don't know. But if you turn your Bible three pages over, you're going to see an eight-year-old become king. So 25 is pretty, you know, weathered and old at this point, I guess, uh, to their standards. Hezekiah becomes the king of Judah. There are somewhere in the realm of 35-ish kings who have come before Hezekiah. In 2 Kings chapter 12, we see the split of the nation of Israel into the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. And there are around 35 kings that lead us to 2 Kings 18 when Hezekiah takes over at 25 years old. The Bible tells us in verse 3 of chapter 18 that he did what was right in the Lord's eyes and followed the steps of his ancestor David. And then verse 5 takes it even a step further, and it says, Hezekiah, uh, he relied on the Lord God of Israel. This is a crazy statement. Every time I read this, it catches me off guard. He says, not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord, and he did not turn from following him, but kept the commands that the Lord had commanded Moses. What a great testament of Hezekiah's faith. You look at 35 kings before, and as you flip through these pages, you see that there are a multitude of kings after him. And the Bible makes this statement of saying, hey, there is no one like Hezekiah. No one before him, no one after him. He stands on a tier all his own. And that's where we find Hezekiah. Hezekiah's life was a life of faithfulness. Hezekiah begins his reign by tearing down the altars of false gods that have been put up. Hezekiah begins to go through uh, the, the cities and the towns and say, hey, any of this stuff, this is now off the table. We will no longer follow false gods. I will no longer allow this in our kingdom, in our area. You have one option, and it's to follow the God of our forefathers, the God of David, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Hezekiah begins to make these changes in his country, in his kingdom that he is ruling over. Now, as he goes about this, it rubs people the wrong way. And what we begin to see is we begin to see an invasion of the, the, the other kingdom, of the, the Israel side of the kingdom, begin to happen by the Assyrians. And, and through the book of Second Kings, we see the Assyrian takeover of, of the country, of the kingdom of Israel, until finally Judah is all that is left. And the Assyrians, they begin to push forward into the country of Judah, 14 years into Hezekiah's reign, so he's now 39 years old. The country of Assyria, the nation of Assyria, they have taken over everything except for the capital city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah is hanging on to the very end of his rope and the last place that he has. And he says, okay, I've got an idea of how we can get out of this. 
Hezekiah sends messengers to the king of Assyria, and he sends money, and he sends gifts, and he sends all of these different things. And they go to the king, and they say, hey, here's all of this stuff from Hezekiah. Hezekiah is asking very nicely if you could just, like, chill, you know, go somewhere else, do something different, pretty please, cherry on top, all the different things. Now, the king of Assyria is not a nice guy. He takes the money. He takes the gifts. He says, hey, thank you so much for bringing these things. I will take all of that, and I will see you tomorrow in Jerusalem as I attack. So the king, uh, he takes the gifts. He attacks anyways, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he lays siege to the city, and the prophet Isaiah shows up. This is where uh, uh, Hezekiah, at this point in his life, he sends for the prophet Isaiah, and he says, hey, listen, This is what's going on. I I need your counsel. I need your help. I need the Lord to protect us in this moment. We have come to the very end of our rope, and we need help in a desperate way. The Bible in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 6, says that Hezekiah Hezekiah goes to Isaiah, and Isaiah says to him, uh, Tell Hezekiah that the Lord says this, Do not be afraid. Now, again, If we think about the story of Hezekiah and Hezekiah's life, he's sat there as a king and he has watched the Assyrian army take over one entire kingdom. He's seen them expand power again and again and again and again, and now they are sitting on his doorstep, and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, do not be afraid. Now, a lot of us, we would probably say, okay, we'll take that into account as we are terrified and scared and we begin to make our own plans and do our own things. But Hezekiah simply trusts. He simply believes that God is going to be faithful and do what he says. And so Hezekiah allows the Lord to work. And the Bible tells us that Hezekiah, that God protects the people and he defeats uh, the Assyrian king. In chapter 19, verse 35, we see that the angel of the Lord goes out and he strikes down 185,000 of the Assyrian people. And the Assyrians, they run and they flee back to their own country and they leave the people of Judah alone. They leave them where they are because of Hezekiah's faithfulness in saying, God, I, I, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than us. We need your help. And God comes through. Now, Hezekiah comes off the back of this, and while this is still ending, Hezekiah hears what no one would ever want to hear, and Hezekiah gets a, a, a diagnosis of a, a, of a terminal illness, and he once again goes to the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah, he said, I've trusted in God all this time. I, I, God has brought me good news before I need to hear the word of the Lord again. In the beginning of chapter 20, the prophet Isaiah says to Hezekiah, he says, this is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah does not handle this well, as you can guess and as you can imagine. Hezekiah has seen God be faithful. He's seen God do these wonderful things, and he sends for Isaiah, expecting to hear from Isaiah, hey, God's going to do something in this moment. But the word that he gets from Isaiah is God has said that you are going to die. But in this moment, Hezekiah again remains faithful. The Bible tells us right after that that Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he cries out to God and he begs and he pleads for God's mercy in his life, for God's protection in his life, for God's provision in his life. And the Bible tells us that Isaiah doesn't even make it out of the house. He doesn't even make it to the front yard of of the palace before God speaks to him and says, 
go back and tell Hezekiah, because of his faithfulness, because of his cries to me, that I have heard his prayer and I will answer and spare his life and extend his time. You may or, not, may, may or may not be familiar with this story, but Isaiah returns to Hezekiah and Hezekiah asks for a sign that God truly will heal him. And, and, and uh, they look and there's a shadow on a stairs that lead up to his bedroom. And Isaiah says, um, God will either move this shadow, he'll either move it up the stairs or down the stairs. You tell me which one you want to see and God will do it. And Hezekiah asks for the impossible. He asks for the shadow to retreat down the stairs right there in that moment. And God answers and God moves the shadow backwards to confirm to Isaiah that I'm going to keep my word to you. And sure enough, Isaiah is granted 15 more years of life and, and, and fulfillment and all of these different things. And, and, and the next thing that happens in Hezekiah's life is, is uh, there are people who come from Babylon to see him and gifts are brought and praise is heaped on him. Wow, how in the world did this happen? And chapter 20 brings us to the very end of Hezekiah's life, a life that we see is marked by God's faithfulness, a life that we see is marked by God doing good things for Hezekiah. Not only do we see the life of Hezekiah, but we also see the reputation that he has built. God's faithfulness has, has given Hezekiah the opportunity to build a reputation with people around him. As the, if we back up, as the Assyrian army is attacking um, in, in chapter 19, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 18, uh, the, the Assyrians, as they're standing on the doorstep, their, their king sends a messenger out to try to intimidate and try to uh, discourage the people. And his main message is, don't let Hezekiah fool you. This is what he's going to say. He is going to tell you to trust in the Lord. Do not believe him. Even the king of a foreign country, he knows what Hezekiah's first response is going to be. That Hezekiah's first thought is going to be to stand up and say, hey guys, it looks bad, but we have to put our trust in the Lord. We have to believe that he is going to be with us. And the king, the king of Assyria, he knew what was coming and he knew what he had to fight against. Hezekiah's reputation, it went before him and ruling and no matter where he was in sickness and health, his reputation as a man who followed Christ went before him. He was a faithful man who had seen God's faithfulness and seen God do great things. And we hear that in his life. We see that in his reputation. But then we come to the end of 2 Kings chapter 20 and we begin to look at the legacy of Hezekiah. What was left after Hezekiah? What comes next? Well, the, uh, Hezekiah recovers from his illness and People come to see him and heap praise on him. And, and one day, the prophet Isaiah shows up again. Now, at this point, Hezekiah is probably looking at the prophet Isaiah, kind of like we probably would. We had one really good outcome, one really bad outcome. It's like, okay, hold on. Let me think about, before you start talking to me, let me think for a second if I want to hear something from you or not. And the prophet Isaiah, he comes to Hezekiah and he says, I, I, I noticed that there were people who were coming to visit you. What did they want? Hezekiah tells him, oh, they were coming to, you know, to, to give gifts and tell me how thankful they were that I had survived and that I recovered from this illness. And he said, so I took them on a, on a, a tour of our city and he said, I showed them everything that we had. He said, I showed them all of our wealth. I showed them all of our riches. He said, I, I left nothing to their imagination. I showed them everything good that we had to offer. 
And Isaiah speaks and he says, Hezekiah says, you have made a grave mistake. He said, the word of the Lord has spoken to me. And this is what's coming to you as a result of this decision. These people will come back. It says, hear the word of the Lord. The days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away and they will become uh, servants in the palace of the king of Babylon. And, and we get to verse 19, and this is where I really want really to, to look at for just a second and, and learn three quick things from Hezekiah's life, from his legacy, and from his reputation. Because Hezekiah, who we've seen do all these great things, it's a verse that doesn't quite seem to make sense. It's a verse that, that when you read it, it, it just kind of looks out of place. Because Hezekiah responds to Isaiah and he says, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. We're tracking with that. He believes. He's faithful. He knows you know, that God's going to be with them no matter what. But then the Bible tells us but that, Isaiah, that Hezekiah thinks to himself, Why not if there will be peace and security during my time? And it's interesting as we look at the life of Hezekiah that we come to this moment at the end and he makes a statement like this where he's basically, if we want to boil it down, he's looking at this situation and he's saying, you know what, if that's going to happen, I'm glad it's not to me. I'm glad that during my time, everything is going to be okay and they can figure that out when it comes up. If we're not careful in our lives, I think sometimes we make the same mistake. Sometimes we look at the world around us, sometimes we look at our life, and sometimes we say, you know, hey, as long, as long as it all falls apart two days after my funeral, then I'm good. Two days after I go, it can go whatever direction it wants, and I'm not interested. If we're not careful, sometimes if we're really honest with ourselves, it's where we find our mentality sometimes. If we're really honest with ourselves and begin to ask ourselves, about the actions that we take, about the investments that we make, we begin to see that they're a little self-focused, that we begin to, if we're not careful, we begin to turn inward and say, I'm investing in what helps me and what pushes me forward and everything else, they'll figure that out on their own. That's somebody else's problem. But I think we can learn from the life of Hezekiah because as we look ahead, Second Kings tells us a sad story that, that uh, Hezekiah's son Manasseh is 12 years old when he becomes king and that he does evil in the sight of the Lord and does not follow in his father's footsteps. His grandson Ammon becomes king after him and the same thing. He does what is evil in the Lord's sight just like his father Manasseh. And we see that in two kings after uh, Hezekiah, all of the work that he has done has been completely erased. That once again in the, in the land of Judah, that they're once again worshiping false gods. They're, they're, they're doing these different things that go against what God has said. And they've set up all of these principles again. And that the legacy of Hezekiah, that Hezekiah did great things. Hezekiah saw incredible things happen in his life. But we still look just a few short years later and it's all been wiped away. It's all been changed and covered over by what the generations that followed him did, by their actions. As we think today, we must be a family of faith that is willing to invest beyond ourselves. When we think about impact, when we think about being a family of faith who is on mission with Jesus to change our world, it can't just be about today. 
It can't just be about what do I do to make myself feel better? How do I, how do I invest in the church? How do I get involved in the church just so my life will be better or just so I feel better about me and where I stand? But we must begin to ask ourselves, how do we invest forward? How do we invest beyond ourselves in our everyday life? Three quick things that I want to point out that I believe we, we can see in the life of Hezekiah that, that help us avoid this moment. That help us when we come, when we come to a place where we begin to think and evaluate, say, you know what, I'm preparing for what's next. Because I don't want to miss, I don't want you to leave today thinking that Hezekiah was a bad king. I don't want you to leave today thinking that Hezekiah did everything wrong and messed everything up because the Bible very clearly says that there was not a king before him or a king after him who did like he did and who followed God in the way that he did. Hezekiah was a great king, but he missed one part that I think is so important for us. The first thing I think that we can remember is that the first step to investing beyond ourselves to ensure that we invest forward in our lives is to remember God's faithfulness. Hezekiah looks at his own life and he sees God's faithfulness again and again and again, but it stops at remembering it and it never transfers to saying, hey, and I believe God will do the same for you. See, when we remember God's faithfulness, it begins with remembering how God has been faithful to me. It begins with me reflecting on my own life and saying, God, I see where you've been faithful where you've worked, where you've led, where you've brought me. God, I see how you have worked in my life and how you have changed me to be more like you. God, I see what you've done and I know that it's your faithfulness to me that has brought me this far. And God, I believe that you will do that for others and so I'm going to to push people towards that. God, I've seen your faithfulness to me and I want you to do the same thing thing for others. So when I see people who are hurting, I'm not going to turn a blind shoulder. I'm not a blind eye, turn a blind shoulder. That's a, that's a new one. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to people or a cold shoulder, a cold eye and a blind shoulder. Uh, I'm not going to turn away from people who are in need, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to be the person in their life who says, Hey, God has been faithful to me. Here's how he can be faithful to you. I believe that God can do the same for you. But not only is it remembering God's faithfulness to me, it's remembering God's faithfulness to others. Hey, hey, listen, I'm as guilty as the next person in here. Sometimes this is what happens. God does something in someone's life. God answers a prayer. God brings about great things in someone's life. And we see it and we smile. And in the back of our mind we say, must be nice. Sure wish I could catch a break like that every now and then. Must be nice to be God's favorite. Wouldn't it be real simple for me if, you know, God would just come through in that way for me? And all of a sudden, our mind is thrown down this this dark tunnel. Instead of recognizing God's faithfulness in someone else and saying, God, thank you for your faithfulness to them. God, it gives me reassurance that you will be faithful to me. We're all of a sudden down a road of saying, God, well, I mean, hey, listen, I'm here too. Where's mine at? We find ourselves in that trap when when we let God's faithfulness to others lead us towards jealousy instead of thankfulness. God's faithfulness in our lives, though, it should be a a beacon that we point people towards to invest forward. To say, hey, I've seen what God has done for me, and I believe that he will do it for the next ones to come. I believe that he will do it for the generations behind me, for the legacy that I'm leaving behind will be a, a legacy of God's faithfulness in me believing and living out. God, I know you've been faithful to me. 
I've seen you be faithful to others, and God, I'm investing for it because I believe that you will continue to be faithful. A remembrance of God's faithfulness is the first step to ensuring that we invest forward in our lives. And the second one is committing to God's vision for our lives. We all have a plan. We all have an idea of where we want our life to go, of what we want our lives to look like. And if we're not careful, a lot of times we get three quarters of the way down our plan. We have our plan all laid out. We have everything the way we want it. And then we come to the very last step of our plan and we say, oh, yeah, by the way, God, I, I, I put this plan together. If you could just like make it work, that would be super cool and I would really appreciate it. And then we leave and we say, man, God showed me where he wants my life to be. And it's not anything, it doesn't look like what God wants at all. It's simply a life that we've designed for ourselves or a vision that we've put together for ourselves and then stamped God on at the last moment and asked him to bless it and said, how, how about now? Are we good? I think it's important in our lives that we stop and begin to ask ourselves a question of, God, what do you want for my life? God, where do you want my life to be? God, what do you want my life to look like so that I can begin to invest forward? Because listen, let's be honest. We'll waste our time, our talents, and our treasures on a lot of different things that don't make a difference. We will sit in a recliner in our living room playing video games till 3 in the morning for no good reason whatsoever in a heartbeat. We all have things, and listen, there's nothing wrong with doing fun things. There's nothing wrong with playing video games. I'm probably going to go home this afternoon and play video games. Let's be honest. But there's a difference in enjoying those things and being consumed by them and saying, hey, this takes up all that I am and this is what I'm investing for. I'm, I'm putting my, my life into these things that don't matter. When I'm missing opportunities to invest forward because I'm not paying attention, I'm not asking God, God, what do you want? From my life. I think it's important for us to realize today that, that to invest forward, to look forward and see what God has next and say, I want to leave a legacy of faith, we must begin to ask ourselves, God, what do you want from my life? God, here's how you gifted me. God, here's what you've called me to do. God, here's how you've, you've brought me so far. God, help me to see how I can, I can invest forward. Not just about myself, not just about me, but how I can do for others, how I can, I can invest forward in my life. And committing to God's vision, it's hard. It takes personal reflection. It takes time. It takes a willingness to commit to it, and it takes action. If you ask God to see where he wants you in five years, God's going to show you. He's going to show you, this is what I want you to do. This is what I've equipped you to do. Now it's up to you to begin to take those steps forward. It's up to you to begin to say, God, you've gifted me to do this. Now, how do I unlock that? God, you've gifted me to do this. Now, how do I begin to utilize that in a way that points forward? And the last thing I think that we see after we've remembered God's faithfulness, and we've committed to God's vision for our life and asked ourselves these questions, God, where do you want me to be? It's time to begin to invest. I'm, I'm, I'm the world's worst at this. I have thoughts that pop in my brain. I have ideas that come into my mind, and I think about them, and I think, man, that is incredible. And I have conversations with people about that idea, and I run 50 miles down the road with it, and I plan out this entire thing in my brain. And two days later, if you were to come to me and say, hey, do you remember that idea you had? I'd be like, sort of. 
I remember, you know, that we had a conversation about an idea. But I'm not entirely, I don't remember the details of it. Sometimes the same thing begins to happen in our spiritual life, that we look and we say, God, I know that this is something that I want to do. God, I hear the words that you're saying. God, I hear you speaking in my life about investing forward, about making a difference in the future. And then in three days, someone's going to say, hey, what, what, you know, what, did, what did you learn about on Sunday? Uh, video games. <laughs> it's okay. I know what you're going to remember. You're going to remember I play too many video games. And I want to challenge you this morning that the third step of ensuring that we invest forward is to begin today. Begin today investing in the future. As you reflect on your own life and say, God, I remember how you've been faithful to me. I've seen how you've been faithful to others. I want to pass that on to the next generation. I want to pass that forward. Uh, God, I, I need to see how you want me to do that. How do I want to accomplish that in my life? God, you've shown me what you've called me to do. God, you've shown me the vision for my life. You've shown me where I'm gifted, what I'm talented at, what I can do. Now, God, help me to take the action step. Tell, help me to take the hard step that goes from, man, you know, I'm really good at this. I love spending my time doing this. This is what I get enjoyment and fulfillment out of. God, help me take the hard step and say, how do I pass that on? How do I invest in the future of the family of faith through what you've gifted me with? Because, see, as we talk about investment, we can invest in a lot of different things and totally miss the point of investing. We can totally miss the point of this and, and totally forget that we're not just investing for ourselves, but we're investing for the future. That being a part of a family of faith is not just about attending on a Sunday. It's not just about coming when the convenient time you know, is available or doing something like that. It's an investment that we're making and saying, God, I'm committing to this. God, this is valuable in my life and I want to pass it on. One of the great opportunities that, that I've had here at Calvary and one of the things that, that I, I would cherish forever um, as being a kids pastor is that if you stick around somewhere long enough, you get to see, uh, you know, you get to see parents um, have kids and then multiple kids, and you get to see those kids grow up and graduate high school and different things like that. And and, and it, it will never, ever, ever, I, I will never get tired of seeing families who are invested in the future. Families who are committed to their kids being in church and saying, hey, this is what my grand, this is what my parents passed to me, and I'm committing to pass that forward. I will never get tired of seeing families who are invested in, in the future. But we as a church, we as a family of faith, we must begin to see the same thing. It doesn't mean that we ignore today or that there's anything wrong with today or that, you know, we say, ah, forget about this, we're only concerned about that. But it's looking and remembering God's faithfulness and saying, God, how do we ensure that that carries on long beyond me? How is what I'm doing today laying the groundwork for the next generations? How is what we do today setting the future up to see God continue to do great things? To see lives continue to be changed? Because we choose today to be a family of faith that invests beyond ourselves. Let's pray. God, we love you. 
And God, we are so thankful for today. God, we're so thankful for what you teach us from your word. God, how you, how you work in our lives. God, how you remind us constantly of your faithfulness. God, I'm thankful for the way that you direct in our lives, the vision that you place in each one of us of, of where you want us to be, of who you want us to be. God, I pray that today you would help us to take action. God, I pray that we would be people who say, hey, you know what? I want the future to be bright. I want to begin to invest beyond myself. God, I've seen you do it for me, and I want to see you do it again, and so I'm going to make the choice to take a step. Say, today I'm beginning a life of investment forward. God, we're thankful for that opportunity today. God, I pray that you would continue to work in our lives, that you would continue to grow us, continue to make us more like you every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Calvary, thank you for being here today. I I really do appreciate it. Um, If you look in the seat in front of you, there's a response card there. If it's your first time with us, grab that, fill it out. We'd love to get some information and connect with you to learn a little bit more about you. Today, maybe God's speaking in your heart. You would want to jot a note on there that just says, hey, this is what I'm committing to. This is how I'm going to take the next step of investing forward. Fill that out. We'd love to see it. We'd love to hear from you. There's a place on there where you can put prayer requests if you have a prayer request for us. But grab that card and make sure you fill it out this morning. We'd love to connect with you that way. Uh, I got uh, Next week, we got a couple of big things coming up. Next week on Sunday, we're doing Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper next Sunday. We'll be celebrating that together. I know, listen, I know it's 4th of July weekend. I know you guys are already, I can already see your wheels turning about, you know, uh, sitting outside on your back porch on Sunday morning next week. Make sure you come through and hang out with, and, and worship with us next Sunday. It's going to be a special time as you remember uh, the, the gift that God has given us, the free gift of salvation that he's given us. And then families, we've got something really special coming for you guys in, in, toward the middle of July. We're going to celebrate a family weekend together on Friday. On Friday night, we're going to have water slides set up out here and I'm going to spray your kids with a hose until they can't take it anymore and then probably spray a little more if we're all being honest, you know, it's kind of my thing. And and then Saturday morning, we're going to get them up, we're going to take them to the zoo, we're going to spend a morning together in the zoo. Um, It's going to be an awesome weekend. Make sure on your way out, as you pick your kids up, grab a flyer that tells you about family weekend. Go ahead and sign up today. Be ready for an awesome weekend. Don't miss out on the things we have going on this summer. Wednesday nights are back we got a busy summer. It feels like it's almost over, but we got a lot going on. Don't miss out on what we're doing here this summer. Thank you guys so much for being with us. And as always, as we come to the end of our service, we're so thankful for you guys. You guys are a huge part of what we do, partnering with us in prayer and partnering with us in faithful giving. We're able to send teams to Romania. We're able to do VBS. We're able to do family days and water. Now, I'm able to stand outside with a hose and spray kids for hours on end because of you guys. Maybe not the best argument ever, but you know. We're so thankful. So as you as you go today, there'll be gentlemen at the doors. Uh, if you'll uh, drop, your, drop your offering in there, continue to be faithful in your giving as we continue to see God do great things here in our city. Thank you so much for being with us. You can stand and you're dismissed this morning as we get ready to have a great afternoon.